Hey everybody, welcome to episode 38 of the Illuminati Telegraph. And you know what we do here. We look into what we don't know about what we do know. You can skip ahead of 29 minutes and 34 seconds of this episode to get right to the first topic, which happens to be dinosaurs. We like to deep dive, but in the interim of doing all the research for the deep dives, we stay up to date with current events. Because like everybody, we read articles and they're interesting. New stuff happens. New archaeological discoveries. New scientific findings. This and that. We want to talk about that too. We want to talk about everything. So today was one of those episodes. And it's called Current Events because that's... I didn't know what else to call it. So uh, skip ahead to like the 29 second mark. 29 minute mark. And uh, in the meantime, don't forget to... Go to Alfred and the Tednators. We have a new single dropping, a jam cast single, and it's an acoustic mandolin, acoustic jam. And I have a mandolin solo. I would love for you to hear it. And the link is in the description below to our Spotify pre-save page. It'll be available everywhere, though, but we have a jam cast single dropping. Uh, Jesse and them have a music video dropping for Golgotha. Excuse me, the link to their band camp and Excuse me again. Whoa. And their Spotify is down there. I got a new shirt from their band camp. 15 bucks, uh, $20 with shipping. It got here in like a week. It fits good. It's a nice shirt. Go support, man. Go support their merch. Um, so I think that's all the updates. Alfred and the Ted Naders, a new jam cast single, Golgotha merch music video. Let's get into the episode. Ford, he heard you say hi and he tried to say hi back. Yeah, yeah, he can see you now. Hi, Ford. Hi. Okay. Ford got her intro on the podcast now. Hell yeah, I had to hit record before I did that. Um, fucking so, uh, what's fucking up, dude? So, uh, nothing, man. What's up with you? Nothing working. Um, so B- Bob Saget died first thing. Yeah, it sucks, huh? Super sad, right? So you say you saw him. I, I saw in your text message. I was, I was asleep when I first saw him. I saw in your yeah. text messages that he uh, he was there three weeks ago. Was he at the Comedy Works? Yeah, it was like a month ago. He was there at the club performing. Um, and it was fucking awesome. Before the night of the show, I knew it was one of the best shows I'd ever seen. I was super surprised. He was so funny, but he was just silly. He wasn't like cleverly crafting this, you know, like to me, somebody who can be a silly goose and make two hours fly by like, and you never miss the beat. Just being a two hours. He did two hours, man. That's a lot of, that's a lot of. That's a long time to be on stage, man. Dude, he was so funny and he never stopped. And he was doing crowd work with this guy who like, he's like, what kind of surgery did you have? I forgot how he started the crowd work, but the guy had big balls and he was like, wait up, you had big balls and you had surgery to get rid of them. Are you stupid? Or he was just going off and then he, it, 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 he did like 10 minutes on big balls. He kept calling them big balls. And then he was like, I don't know why I'm coming at you, sir, with your big balls. But I, I can't remember how he did it, but it was it was like one of the best shows ever, man. And then he he came out with his guitar and started singing some silly ass songs. <laughs> and one of them, you know, you're not supposed to video, but I was videoing just for myself. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. And um, I got high and paranoid, and I was like, I shouldn't be videoing Bob Saget, and I deleted it. Oh no! Yeah. 
I mean, I wouldn't kept it. Me too, man. Cause I, not like you're hurting the integrity of his career now. Yeah. And, and, but at the same time, like what I had videoed, you can see on his specials. It's not the same bits, but what, who he is on his special is who he was that night. But seeing it in person and feeling it in the room. Was the he dude, killing? Dude, he was fucking killing it, man. Like, he was killing? The room was, the room was uh, falling apart? Dude, it was so much fun. Like, big smile the whole time my cheeks hurt. If That was the minimum, was just big smile the whole time. Plus laughing, like, what the... F-? Like, because it's Bob Saget, and it's, and it's like... You just lose what he's talking about because he's just going. And before you know it, he's talking to big balls in the audience about big balls. And it's like, what the fuck? And it's just a, he's the life of the party, man. But like, it didn't come from his jokes, you know, it came from him. And that's what was so special because like, he is awesome. Like he is, he is. Just his, his energy, his yeah. aura, just to be around him. It was yeah. funny. He's like embodied comedy. Like he was a comics comic, I think. Yeah. From what, from what I've heard. I'm not a comic, so I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But just the, the overall vibe that I get from hearing people talk about him and comics talk about him on podcasts and things like that. Like he was a truly loved comic and he was yeah. a comics comic. And it's sad to, sad to see him go. I did yeah. see, I forget who it was that tweeted it, but I thought it was fucking funny. It was because it was comedian and they were just going going hard immediately but they're like if you listen really quietly you can hear all of the comedians going through their phones for their selfies with yeah, Bob I, saw <laughs> I saw somebody said uh, somebody check on Kevin Nealon please <laughs> <laughs> but man it, um, fucking he was Sucks, though. I, um, I didn't expect the show to be that good he was after that show I realized that not with his death like that night I realized that dude's one of the best in the world like he was in his prime that night when i saw him that's what my takeaway was like this motherfucker is in his prime right now his golden years and what's so cool what i think about is that a lot of actors who are known for their character and then keep doing comedy you can never shake it yeah and they get bitter about it right that's generally the thing right and i'm not shit talking on rob schneider but rob schneider's another one of those characters and he wasn't necessarily as he didn't kill as hard as uh bob saget but you know he does live in the shadow of some characters another example of that of that is like so i saw tim allen in la like many many years ago but like i just remember what stuck out from his set was he was basically talking about being the santa claus and like that his whole set revolved around that and like Exactly. Like he couldn't break away from like, hey, he's those fucking movies and that yeah. home improvement and that shit. Like that's all he talked about in his set. Yeah. Was that whereas someone Sag- like Bob Saget, he just kind of lived above that, like beyond those roles. Yeah, he had a story about how he needed to get on a a, a plane flight, and he was like, and I don't want to do this because I'm not that kind of guy, but I did it, and I pulled down my mask and I said, I'm Bob Saget. Can you please get me on the flight? And she did. She got me on the flight, and everybody hand clapped, and he was like, I'm an asshole, but I got on the flight. And he was like, he that's the most of the fourth wall that he broke as far as like, do you know who I am? Right. Danny, you know what I'm saying? But like, people, what was really cool that you don't get in a special was the feeling that people are loving him because he's Bob Saget, not Danny Tanner. And there was that extra connection. And a lot of the crowd is people like me and you who are there because he's Danny Tanner, 
but not because they're there because he's Bob Saget. That was the difference, and it was like extra genuine because it's like, yeah, you're Danny, but you're Bob Saget, and we love you, Bob Saget. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It wasn't. It was. So he was just on this tour at the end. These are his golden years, you know, and he was just out there getting all the love. Bro. And whenever he his last tweet was 1:42 a.m. And he said how amazing the show was in Florida. I'm addicted to this shit again. That's what he said. So what my take is, whenever I saw him, he was obviously like not sober. He was like, kind of trashed. He is doing real well, but he slurred some words, but he went through it like a professional. But I was like, you just slurred that word. You fucked that motherfucker. He was, he came out. He was partying. Yeah. He was partying. Yeah. I mean, definitely on alcohol. I don't know if he's on cocaine, but he also has scleroderma. Has a, has a cause of death been released no, they, yet? So far, they said he's not done. No, they said so far, no drugs or alcohol related, oh. no foul play. Um, so I was thinking, I was like, I know that dude's partying. So he didn't necessarily overdose on heroin, but number one, if you're 65 and you're burning the kit, excuse me, the candle at both ends like that, you know, as well yeah. as I do when you have a traveling, good, he's traveling all the time. Traveling. And that, that's brutal on you. Plus if you're partying while you're traveling and yeah. you're old on top of all that shit. Yeah. I know doing that shit as like a 20 year old. That shit was brutal on us. Like. I mean, he's definitely doing it with more money than we had and sleeping in hotels and shit, not sleeping in like a fucking suburban or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Still, that's... uh... But you know as well as I do, after a good show, when things are good, that adrenaline rush will just keep you up all night. Absolutely. So when you're talking about a 65-year-old man who's been touring, he's been traveling, he's probably exhausted in some form or another, he's drinking, he's partying, his heart needs a break and he's riding that adrenaline high at the end of the night because he it was one forty two a.m. His show's finished before midnight, so he was still up. That's what I was thinking. Is like this yeah. has got to be some kind of heart attack around cardiac event. Yeah, but also he has scleroderma, which is what's auto, scleroderma? It's an autoimmune disease where your connective tissue continues growing and it becomes too big. So they have you, people get like really swollen hands or they have patches on their skin. So he had an underlying issue and his sister died from it when she was a kid, when they were kids. So he's been a scleroderma activist his whole life, basically part of foundations and stuff. And he had it. So I'm also thinking he had an underlying issue that just made him susceptible. And I'm also thinking based off of just his energy there at that show, it's like he probably knew he had a risk and he's like, I'm going to die having fun, not sitting at home worried about scleroderma. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's my take. He was partying and he's like, fuck it. I'm going to just have a good time doing what I love. Yeah. And if I happen to drop dead while I'm out here, that's, that's I want to go out. That's my thought. Because either way, if he stays home, he's risking dying. just dying from scler- scleroderma, you know? And it's a lame way to go out. Yeah. At least that's he went I, out touring. And I don't want to get too conspiratorial, but we're talking autoimmune disease and he was triple vaxxed. That could have had something to do with it, man, because the mRNA vaccine is a new technology that essentially tricks your immune system. It's not a natural immune response. It's like a trick. We talked about it a few episodes ago. And if you have an autoimmune disorder and you're triple vaxxed on an experimental vaccine that messes with your immune system in a new way, 
it's not outside the realm of possibility that could have played a factor, especially since he's drinking and maybe doing some drugs and he's out late and he's not all these things. Yeah. I don't think it was just like random. I think it was relatively avoidable maybe, but yeah, definitely. We'll, but you know, before we may jump to some type of conspiratorial, let's see what the autopsy says. Mm-hmm. Exactly what he died yeah. from. Yeah. And uh, I mean, he, we could, so I didn't even know he was boosted and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. so rest in peace, Bob Saget, a true, like, honestly, one of the best shows I've ever seen up there with Steve Vai, up there with Steve Vai, just in the sense that they did their job so well, the time flew by and you wanted more. There's some comedians or shows <laughs> like 20, 20 minutes in, you're looking at your watch. Really? I don't want to say I'm bored with this uh, subject matter. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. You can tell me offline. I want to know. Yeah, but with Bob Saget, it was like, dude, two hours? And you just, I left so happy. Like, it's crazy that you saw him three weeks before his death. Well, like four, maybe five, you know, time passes, but it was very recently on his final tour. You know what I mean? Like, and he looked up at us. He couldn't see up in the mezzanine in the balcony, but the employees sit up in the corner. There was nobody up in the mez that night. Um, so he was like, hey, you guys, I can't see you. You guys good up there? And me and Evan, my my, my uh, buddy, we're like, fuck yeah. He's like, good. And I was like, that's awesome. He just you got acknowledged by Bob Saget. Yeah, he couldn't see us, but like, I, he still saw us. Like, we're up here, motherfucker. We're up here. And this is Comedy Works? Yeah. Awesome shit, man. Fuck so, yeah, man. You you must have like a bunch of good comedians pass through there, bro. It's comedy works. All of Tim Dillon, Andrew Schultz, Rob Schneider, Craig Johnson, Bob Saget. And that's the South Club. The, the downtown club gets like a larger ratio of the premier acts. Ian Fidance, Dave Attell Jeez, at the South Club. Like the fucking, all of the... They're just the best in the world. Yeah, they, like, it, literally, literally the best comics in the world. Yeah, it's it's uh, they're it's weird that you work there, bro. They're the gold standard of comedy. The comedy works. It's like, well, you know, one it's, of the it's like a comedy store type of place, right? Yeah, the format is about different. It in the, I know, but like in but terms yeah. of like how loved it is by comedians. Yeah. Um, there was someone like uh, how well it's ran and how good the room is. Because some rooms they might run it good, but it's not good for comedy. Like Tony these, Woods was just on Rogan talking about Comedy Works. In, yeah, in Colorado. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and crazy. Yeah, it's it's crazy, but um, fucking man. Yeah, well, at least uh, working there has exposed you to the greats, and if that's something you're dipping your toe in, you couldn't be in better company yeah. than where you're at right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, except Just I'm going to Exposing yourself to it around all the time like that. I'm going to be removed from the schedule if I'm not boosted by January 31st, what unfortunately. fuck, man? Do all the comedians have to be... Not comedians, but that works. I guess everyone that works there, huh? Everybody that enters that building has to show proof of their vaccination. So after the 31st, you'll have to show proof of being boosted as well. Wait, wait. So after the 31st, for the whole country, you're not considered vaccinated unless you're boosted? No, just for comedy works. That's the rule. They're like, you got to get boosted. Everybody that comes in has to get boosted. Show proof. Even if you're a customer? 
yeah, they have to all like the the, the hosts and shit just checking their vax cards. Everybody that comes through, they're She's hard. So- so yeah, silly. they're really hard. And what's crazy is the big manager guy, like the number two guy in the whole thing, he um had a team meeting with us before our shift. And he was saying normal stuff about, you know, bust the tables and this and that. Right. And this isn't like shift manager. This is like, I don't want to draw Co-owner, names. man. Yeah, but like yeah, up there. The, the yeah. dude, the dude that scares everybody. And he yeah. said, you all have to get boosted. Um, so-and-so cares about you. We keep up on this information just to let you know, I'm always reading and staying up to date and I get my info. Here's where it gets fun. Listen to this. And I get my information from reliable sources like the Washington post and the New York times, not from bloggers in Indiana. That's what he said. And then he went to look at me and corrected himself and looked at somebody else because he knows we've talked about why I don't want the vaccine, which we talked about that story a few episodes. So he just knows my stance on it generally. So he corrected himself and went to someone else and said, you know what I mean. And I was thinking, I don't know what you mean. This is unbelievable that people have the... The Washington Post, man. So far tight around their heads, they can't but the thing is like it's under the so guys disappointing to hear when you yeah. have people like that like running businesses that yeah and it's under the guys that they care about us but the truth is if you did you wouldn't take me off the schedule you'd at least terminate me so I could file employment um, also you wouldn't care about the vaccine you would give me an option to test you would give me an option to show my antibody results because if it's about science you'd know that the antibodies are just as good, if not better, than the vaccine. It, you know what I'm saying? So, like, everybody oh, at work... The vaccine doesn't even work against the current variant that yeah. is being passed around right and now. And they're still repeating all this. 90% of people are unvaccinated. They go to the hospital. We got to get the vaccine. It's like, dude, how the fuck... At the end of the day, are you really going to force people to take this vaccine or cost them their job and think you're helping us based on science from the Washington Post that Jeff Bezos owns? <laughs> and here's what I'm thinking. like, I don't get a banana or an apple from a gas station. You know what I'm saying? Because that's not a yeah. trustworthy piece of fruit. Right. But if you get your news from a dude that sells anal beads and pocket pussies at discounted prices together... Like that's probably not reliable news. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like people, a bit of a simplification, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Well, Jeff Bezos owns Amazon and the Washington does. Post. I, I mean, know. it's it but he is bought that the simple. Washington Post after like he got rich from Amazon. Washington Post has been around for a while. I, don't, I think they've been, you know, a news organization that I get wasn't that, always as crazy as they are now. But I get what you're saying. Why would a businessman want to own a newspaper? Is it that lucrative of a business? No. Or do so you have it exactly? Pay this is in a could light and have the narrative yeah. of whatever his values are. So I think it is public, and I think it is that simple. That if you're buying, if you can, it's kind of a joke, but it's serious. I, can, I get what you mean. If I you can buy you pocket pussies and anal beads from the same guy who's giving you news, how is that yeah. reliable? I'm the and, and I'm the bad guy who gets his information from a blogger in Indiana. If I don't agree with the science you're telling me is dictating that I have to go get a fucking vaccine. You know what I'm saying? So like before I was okay with maybe playing the game because like 
but now it's getting to the point where you have to put your foot down and say, I'm not taking this experimental. Especially drug. when you admit that you get your information from reliable sources right. like Washington Post and New York Times and are going to be disrespectful backhandedly to people. Right. Like, Hold on, let me that, finish that because a, I have a di- anybody who has a different point of view doesn't get to speak, even though they've said we won't judge because they've asked me, like, I just want to know why you don't like the vaccine. I won't judge you. They cut me off. They're dismissive. Everybody in the in in the workplace at this point is all people that are going to play the game. They've filtered everyone out. So everyone's completely disrespectful and dismissive if you have a different viewpoint. So the way they're lumping it up is we get our truth from compromised news sources, New York Times and Washington Post. And if you don't agree with this, you're an idiot who gets from a blogger in Indiana. And under that context, I'm not going to go put an experimental vaccine in my body so they can play political theater. Because if they cared about me, they would let me opt in for testing weekly. They would they would understand that some people, you know, they don't need to take the vaccine. They're probably compromised. There's science that people with antibodies have an increased danger to negative side effects if they get the vaccine. Like you get the vaccine and the antibodies. So there's just like it's not based in science. It's just crazy theater. It really, it's it's a like the situation you described is like a cult, man. Like like you said, exactly, they, filtered, they filtered out everyone that and everyone at work is testing positive right now. <laughs> There's so many people that aren't there. We're short staffed. We're completely fucked most of the I time. I don't mean to laugh about it, but it's because it's, it's, they won't it's let ironic. Pe- they won't let people come to work if they test positive. But we're all vaccinated and they trust the vaccine. So it's like on one hand, do you trust it? If so, un- let us come to work. But it's the unvaccinated fault that you guys are short on. Uh, exactly, staff. dude. You know exactly. It's the unvaccinated fault that the COVID's still out, even though the vaccine is not stopping COVID. Everyone's still popping. A guy I work with who wants to dismiss everything. The guy's kind of like an empire baby. He was empire telling me, baby. Yeah, he was telling me um, he had friends in town and they are not vaccinated. And he is. He got COVID and couldn't come to work. And he was in bed for three days sick. And he was like, I don't understand. I had the vaccine and like they didn't have the vaccine. They still haven't tested positive. And I was like, and I told him, I was like, aren't you starting to see that because the vaccines don't work and antibodies do? And he was like, I'm kind of scared to admit it, but I think I might, I think that might be it. But like, I'm scared to admit it. It's like, what's to be scared of, man? They don't work. Everybody's been tricked. This is such a cult. This is this it's is crazy. crazy. Yeah. And then people are like, oh, well, you got to trust the science and this and that. And then look at what, what they're finally starting to admit with like female reproductive cycles. Yeah. How it's, and that, you know, that's pretty scary if you're someone who's trying to have a kid, right? Like that could fucking ruin the fertility of yourself or your partner if you're in a situation yeah. like me like that's a fucking scary yeah. thing yeah and robert uh, malone was just talking about that because i had a small discussion well, with a good they, friend about robert malone and he said he checked out the podcast and he thought they were pushing fear he said it was a good conversation but i thought they were pushing fear so i was like i'll have to go listen back and i started listening back it's like they're not pushing i was like they're not pushing fear they're just talking about all the stuff we've been lied to about and that's scary it's, yeah it's, it's not fear mongering the obfuscation of these facts are, obfuscation. are crazy. Obfuscation, yeah. Yeah, nice word. Uh, but like at the beginning, they're like, oh, you may, uh, 
no, it's not going to affect the female reproductive cycle. Now they're saying, well, you may notice a small change in your female reproductive cycle, but don't worry, it, it will correct itself over time. And there are no long-term effects. Like, well, first of all, how the fuck can you say there's no long-term effects whenever it's impossible to even make that statement? So like you're lying to me. Yeah, they're lying they, to us like, they like have it's such no long-term data. It's such an obvious lie, and, but people just accept it. You know, it's like, but it, it's they they can't be telling the truth if they're saying something like that because that's not possible. Like, there's no the vaccines haven't been out long term, so how do we know yeah. that there's no long-term effects on yeah. the female reproductive cycle? And they're moving there the goalposts. There are because- drugs. There are there are conditions like. Uh, I, I, I kind of went down a small rabbit hole in this. They're like conditions, like reproductive conditions that they they don't diagnose in females. Uh, it sometimes takes up to five to 10 years like to catch the patterns and stuff like that. And, and that's how they catch those conditions. And so they're saying there's no long-term effects from the vaccine when it's been out for how many months? Like not even two years, I don't think. It's insane. And then people are just like, oh, yeah, well, don't worry. It, you're going to be fine. It's not going to affect you long term. Like trust the science. Like and, they, yeah, they were wrong up front, and they're lying to you now. And it's obvious they're lying to you now, and you're still accepting it. Yeah, and just to wrap up this COVID rant that we got on, um, but about the trusting the science because I was reading the scleroderma page um, from the scleroderma organization, whatever. Mm-hmm. When I found out Bob Saget had it, I was, I was reading this, and they they said the FDA. I was reading about vaccine safety if you have scleroderma. And I found on this page, um, the FDA has approved treatments that aren't the vaccine, like monoclonal antibodies and remdesivir have been approved for treatment by the FDA. I was like, this is right here on a .org mainstream page saying that the FDA has approved alternative treatments if you don't want to get the vaccine, basically. Right? Right, and so so it's still in the mainstream that all these alternative treatment shit is. Uh, I'm still trying like to right wing shit, and it's like, but if you actually look, like the FDA approves it, but that doesn't make it here because, like Robert Malone explained, the drug company does the test. Pfizer does the test on their stuff. Then they yeah. have a team then that they, comes up with the conclusion, and they share that conclusion with scientific journals who not study the data. The con- yeah, not the data. They share their conclusion with the scientific journal that then assesses the situation and gives that information to the doctors and the public. When you're talking about like the FDA and approves there's also something, a handshake where they buy the reprints. Uh, the, yeah. the drug companies buy the reprints from the medical journals. So like, yeah. there's this cycle that occurs. Yeah. So when you're talking about like the FDA said this or this government faction said that, maybe they did, maybe they are reliable, but you have to go to that website and study all that yourself. If you try to get like a faction to get it for you like the news or like the New York Times to write about what the CDC said. Like how, you know, is it true ivermectin is good for whatever? The CDC said this and then you read their article about what the CDC said. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what's happening. There's like this wall. It's this whole thing with them trying to other the unvaccinated. What now I'm trying to understand is like, if we were playing devil devil's advocate now at this point with like the data that we have on Omicron and everything, how, how are they still pushing this thing that like the unvaccinated are the ones that are causing so much death and harm in the country whenever it's, it's proven now at this point that 
even if you're triple vaxxed, right, you're boosted, you got both your vaccine, vaccines or quadruple vaxxed, you can still catch Omicron and then still spread it. How is this the unvaccinated's fault? Like when there's yeah. no difference between the two, well, because right? like I can catch it and spread it if I'm unvaccinated or I can catch it and spread it if I'm vaccinated and boosted. So like, how are we any different then? Maybe you get less sick than me, I guess. Is that the argument that they were that unvaccinated people are clogging the hospital system? Or? I think I think what I think what it goes back to like how is, are they still othering unvaccinated people at this point? Because people, I, th I think it's because people say, you know, if people just would have wore masks and followed all the guidelines right away, we would have got it under control. So people still think. God. vaccinated people who are catching COVID they're catching basically they're catching the rogue virus that is that that is still around because the unvaccinated never got with the team do you feel what I'm saying got you so like we're in this position because yeah we're vaccinated so now we're all fucked well then good yeah. we're already in this position so we don't have to worry about getting vaccinated anymore yeah cool. I think that's what it is like the reason the vaccine's not protecting me against the virus like it should like the reason I'm still popping positive and getting a little sick um, is because originally like right-wingers and conspiracy theorists didn't want to do their part. So it's still around. It's not the vaccine's fault. It's like, I don't even know how to complete that circle of reasoning mm. without getting stumped up. Like being triple vaxxed and you're still getting COVID and, and still very sick. And still finding a way to go along as if it's a pandemic of the end. It's like we got the, I don't understand, man. And I'm just kind of, can you try to complete my thought? Do you know what I'm no, getting at? No, I here? do. I know what you're, uh, he, yeah, it's, I'm no, trying to, the original, that's the point I was making is like, how are they completing, how is the logic of this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated still valid in January of 2022 with the data, the data that we have on hand. Sound is the word you're looking for, not valid. Valid is where an argument doesn't have any okay, sound logical contradictions as far as a f the formula of an argument goes. Like modus ponens argument from like Latin days. If X is Y and Y is Z, then X is Z kind of thing. Okay. So if you could say if fairies eat cherries and cherries make you scary, then fairies are scary. Right? That's valid because there's no logical contradictions in the formula, but it's gotcha. not sound yes. because fairies don't exist. Right. So like that argument about the pandemic of the unvaccinated, it's it's valid because it's it follows lo logic, right? I think people get caught in the loop because they can't realize it's not sound because it's a pandemic of, I don't know what it's a pandemic of. It's, it's not just a pandemic. Yeah, it's, it's a, a pandemic. I think it, I don't know, man. It's a respiratory virus that, uh, it's a new respiratory virus that's being taken advantage of uh, politically and financially. Shit. I didn't mean to talk about COVID forever, yeah, but. For an, almost an hour. No, I'm just. Maybe there's no timer on zoom. So I don't know how long we are and I can't make time notes, but let's get into it. Let's change it up and let's talk about, um, dinosaurs. Jesse, what do you vote? Dinosaurs. So dinosaurs. I'm ready to screen share. Let's do it. Screen do share. It? Do it. You went on a dinosaur kick, boy.
Yeah, well. So they found this really old fossil, basically of a little baby dinosaur curled up in an egg, dating back some 66 to 72 million years. You can read along with me there. I'll try to make that text smaller. The embryo has been dubbed Baby Yingling, Yingliang, and was found in the rocks of the Hikau Formation at the Shahi Industrial Park in Ganzhou City, Jiangxi Province. Paleontologists led from the university said that uh, Baby Yingling belonged to a toothless beaked theropod dinosaur or an oviraptorosaur. So this is the actual fossil on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. Pretty amazing um, yeah. how well preserved it is. Dude, think about all those millions of years. A freaking egg. Egg. An egg. I was making pancakes yesterday and I dropped an egg and I tried to catch it with my leg, like smashing it. You know, like if you like catch something with your hip against mm -hmm. the counter. So it's just a reaction and I smashed the egg. Like that <laughs> egg didn't last a week in my house. And this, this lasted millions of years. I dude, wonder if it had like some type of different outer shell. Yeah, I think dinosaur eggs are strong, right? Yeah, stronger than a chicken egg for sure. Definitely. All these are chicken dinosaurs, basically, right? Dude, yeah, we'll get, oh my God, we'll get into that. So the paleontologist led, uh, we said that, oviraptorosaurs. Uh, How do you which, say that? Oviraptors? Oviraptorosaur. That's what I'm going to say. And Where do you uh, see that word at? I want to read it again. Oh, where's it at on the screen? Sorry, I went to the picture so the people watching the video can have something to look at besides text while I read like an idiot. It's right here. Oviraptorosaurs. Oh, yeah, it is a oviraptor. Yeah, I guess it's oviraptorosaurus. Yeah, in the iBook I sent you with the highlights, I'm just reading the highlights and wow. trying to keep up with it on the on the thing. Gotcha. So um, this specimen is the most complete dino embryo known and notably sports a posture closer to those seen in embryonic birds. So basically the posture... It's in tucking mode, as you can see. Yeah, with a tail between its legs, basically. Tucking. An embryo behavior controlled by the central nervous system that is critical for a successful hatching. So there's a few phases when they're in the egg, and then right before they hatch, they go into the tucking phase, which is interesting that it's just from their central nervous system. Like, they're not thinking, I need to tuck. It just happens. Their electricity firing down their spinal cord knows when it's time to tuck. I guess you, God, you that's can, crazy. But I mean, babies, I mean, kind of the same thing, right? Yeah, and, and it's crazy. It is crazy. When you think about how we're controlled by the nervous it's system. Electrical We're supposed to, yeah. Yeah, there's... Oh, that's, that's, that's programming deep in our DNA to tell us how to act to survive, right? Yeah, like there's things we can't help. Like my friend Kurt, you know him, he told me a funny story how he was doing community service. Mm -hmm. And they were standing under an, a pavilion kind of taking a lunch break just all awkwardly because nobody's friends. But over in the distance was one guy who was doing pull-ups. 
And like all the dudes in the group, he said, were looking at him like, oh, fucking dude. But all the girls were like kind of interested, but trying not to be seen. <laughs> and he was like, I just couldn't help but think how we're just, we can't like apes, basically. Of, yeah. Just, just a bunch of animals. Like you can't help but react the way yep. you're supposed to act. See another male posturing, like acting like the alpha male amongst the groups of the males yeah. automatically go into this defensive yeah. mode where they're like, fuck this guy. This yeah. Guy, and this and I think what's fascinating. Bag. Yeah. What fascinated Kurt about it, I think was that he's aware enough, but he probably still felt that too. And he was like, this is weird. Cause I'm like, fuck this guy. Yeah. And all the guys like, fuck this guy. And all the girls like, oh my God, like who is this guy? See one other dude in the group just walk over there, start doing the pull-ups to like, out yeah yeah flexing yeah, for the ladies yeah they were just a bunch of dirty animals so this civilized from time to time yeah um so tucking but apparently dinosaurs were just a bunch of birds not all of them this, hey, this check out was. this animation that that way it looked with the how it's kind of furry go up yeah, that. Yeah. Check that out. It's interesting to see this dinosaur embryo and a chicken embryo pose in a similar way inside the egg, which possibly indicates similar pre-hatching behaviors, says a scientist. Baby Yingling takes its nickname from the Yingliang Stone Nature History Museum, Museum in Xiamen, among whose fossil collection it is held. Try to... Um, right here. Now I'm here. Cool. Right here. The dinosaur embryo was acquired by the director of Yingling Group, Mr. Liang Liu, as suspected egg fossils around the year 2000. Said that made no sense. That sentence. <laughs> you know, when you read a sentence and you accent it wrong, and it's like, wait. <laughs> I was like reading out loud in class. You're like, Fuck, I sound like an idiot. Yeah, I'm going to try that again. The dinosaur embryo was acquired by the director of Yingling Group, Mr. Liang Liu. What the fuck? As suspected egg fossils around. Oh, I think it's, uh, if it's I take reader a, mode. Yeah. Yeah. Mode. I actually, I had to, when you sent me those PDFs, now, now that I think about it, I had to go and look up the articles because yeah. I was reading yeah. it. Like, this is terrible English when I went to the article. Yeah. Like, okay. This is I don't want to text you too much and explain that that might be the case, but yeah. It's all good. I figured it out. I'm smart enough. Okay. So, um, yeah, no, that sentence is as dumb as I read it. This dinosaur, yeah, this dinosaur embryo. You read it. See if you this can. This dinosaur get. embryo was acquired by the director of Yingling Group, Mr. Lang Yao, as suspected egg fossils around the year 2000. Oh, sense. they were acquired as suspected. They suspected, egg, yeah. they suspected they were egg fossils. During the construction of Ying, Yingling Stone Nature History Museum in the 2010s, museum staff sorted through the storage and discovered the specimens. So they just, the specimens were just in storage there? Yeah, that was weird. Like, they, how much stuff are they just keeping? Like, what the fuck? These so, specimens were, oh, so I guess they didn't know what they were. These specimens were identified as dinosaur egg fossils. Fossil preparation was conducted and eventually unveiled the embryo hidden inside the egg. Yeah. This is how baby Ying Lang was brought to light. Really cool, cool picture on the screen there. Over-raptorid theropod dinosaur is basically a giant chicken 
It has wings and feathers. It hatched in an egg. It goes through the same tucking cycle as a chicken. You can see it right here. They give an animation of the chicken's tucking cycle. And that's exactly what... That's the, dude, how fucked up would that be to have giant chickens? Chickens are assholes, so that'd be pretty fucked up. Dude, there's nothing more evil than the blank stare of a chicken. Chickens well, are soulless. So more so soulless than a shark. You don't, so you don't feel bad about like millions of them being slaughtered every day for, for us to eat like McDonald's chicken nuggets. You know? Yeah. I mean, They're nah, just pretty fucked up, but they, they can be they are soulless. If you treat that, you know. Mm, I think they just want to get fed. Definitely. I can't, I can't understand this illustration, but it's a really cool fossil picture on the screen. I guess this is just describing like the different components of a bone. It looks like an actual picture, though. Yeah. Um, it is fossilized like vertebrae, and I guess it's pointing out the different parts of the vertebrae, the rib cage, like the femur-looking style bone. Yeah. With a quote that says, it's interesting to see the dinosaur embryo did I read that already? And a yeah. chicken embryo posed in the same way. Yeah, okay. You made that point already. Moving yeah. on. This is a map of the location in the Jiangxi province. Down there. China's a fucking wild place, bro. It's huge. Yeah, man. Look, Wuhan. Where it all started. Guangzhou, Taiwan. Do we fly over here when we go to Thailand? The route you? comes right here. Yeah, we, I mean, we're not north enough to hit China, but the plane is in this area down here over the ocean, and then we come over Vietnam. And whenever we were flying over Vietnam, I was I was imagining, like, being in a plane, dropping bombs, and how sick that was. How fucked up Vietnam was. Because in just, like, 12 hours, here we are, and we're just going to drop bombs in on villages. You know, it was just crazy. This is really weird, man. It's really weird. It's like, why the All, fuck? For a buck, man. No, I, yeah. at the time it was, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna save the rest of the world from being taken over by, you know, communist regimes by stopping North Vietnam from invading. But uh, yeah, the the other countries, they, even though we we failed, no one else got taken over by communist regimes, right? Yeah. I'm reading a, a book right now, and basically Churchill was quoted among many people that we're not trying to overthrow the Nazis, we're trying to overthrow Germany. So that's where the, that's the essence of how a lot of serious researchers and journalists believe, and historians believe that the, the Fourth Reich grew out of the end of the war because we stopped Germany because they withdrew their economic power from the global financial institution system because mm -hmm. they had something going on but Germany was so advanced society fashion art science everything they were the shit so they were going to pull out and be their own thing and that's what disrupted the all world, the players uh, yeah. yeah so it was this concerted effort to overthrow Germany no one gave a fuck about the Nazis really even though they're doing horrific shit yeah yeah just like China right now I say no one gave a fuck about the Nazis. It's like the, the gist yeah, of the war among the le world leaders at the time was they were focused on overthrowing Germany. They didn't, yeah, it was a power play. Yeah, the Nazi thing was like... I, don't, I mean, the Nazis were real. They did sick shit, but that's not... 
why. And I don't remember why I started talking about that. But this next article just goes into more about the about the fucking um because you were we were showing where you flew to go get to thailand and we were oh, talking yeah. about vietnam and then it yeah, led yeah, into this the dark discussion about war yeah and, and um uh, and how we're get... in this military military industrial complex and yeah. we keep perpetual wars going on how it's the fourth reich yeah fourth reich okay yeah. 3d scans show baby sauropods had a horn and binocular vision yeah so this is a little bit more into sauropods now we're going to open up the door on what it is that they found in the egg to begin with, which is these big chicken motherfuckers. There's some pictures. Pictures here. Um, Sword paws with those giant fucking dinosaurs, right? Oh, shit. I'm on the... Uh, uh, oh, no. I was on the wrong notes. I had the right web page. Yeah. Four... Sauropods are large, four-legged, long-necked dinosaurs like this one here in my background. Those big motherfuckers. Experts took 3D scans, a rare 80 million year old fossil. That's that. If you play Ark Survival uh, Evolved, you get to ride a sauropod. If you play what? Ark. You never heard of that game, Ark? No. It's a survival game based in like like you're it's dinosaurs and uh shit like that so like you start with nothing you build your way up and then you you start to you build all the way up to like advanced technology where you're shooting mm. like assault rifles and shit like that but you you do get to you eventually get to tame dinosaurs and ride dinosaurs around and are you streaming they, that with Golgothan? no but i have it if you ever want to play it it's, it's co-op multiplayer but it's gotcha. really it's a fucking survival game so it's really uh hardcore like that but um, it's fun. Hmm. Anyway, sorry to derail us, but it's fine. I remember, I remember that being one of the moments in the game that I enjoyed was jumping on one of those long neck motherfuckers and riding them around with a with a gun, shooting other dinosaurs. Hmm. There was a game on PC when I was about six or seven, and it was uh, where you run around and find a dinosaur, and it was terrifying, and it was hard because we were kids. But you just use the arrow keys to move around the hallway. And the graphics probably looked amazing for the time. You'd move around the hallway and you'd go into these rooms where there would be like a museum or something. And it was like a, you'd see a picture on the wall of a dinosaur and you'd read the clue and then you would go out into the wild. You'd find the dinosaur. But it was just terrifying. Like it was Why so was it, real. Was it made to be terrifying or? I don't know. I was six and it was on the computer and me and my cousin would play it. You know, we'd go on the computer and we'd click around because when you're a kid, the computer was fascinating. You could type in stuff. If you could get to the accel accessibility feature with the voice dictation you could type in stuff and the robot voice would talk back in the speakers so we would do all we would make fun of my preacher speaking in tongues we would type in gibbity gobbity gibbity gobbity gibbity gobbity ep the she lord we'd turn it loud and my mima would fuss at us because she knew we were making fun of uh pastor randy and the robot would just be like gibbity gobbity gibbity gobbity for like 20 seconds but there was also this dinosaur game and i don't know if it was educational or who the fuck had it but that's hilarious dude we were kids so like you know you don't looking back my memory was that it was like really complicated and hard and scary but it was you just move around and it's probably like an educational game where you go find it in the in the wild but it was but, scary uh, just encountering a dinosaur in the wild of the virtual world yeah. Of the yeah. mid 90s. 
or yeah. whatever the fuck that was. But this is in Patagonia, um, in Ocamahuevo, where was where sauropod dinosaur eggs were discovered for the first time among a large nesting site. Um, it was illegally exported from Argentina before it came to the attention of experts. The specimen's now been returned to its country of origin for further study. It's so weird how these things always get jacked. Is it worth a lot of money, bro? Yeah. It's always coming back to money. I mean, I guess it's not, it's not weird. You have, it's not because you have these, these black market paleontologists that are super into research and they want it all for themselves. I guess it's not that I think it's weird, but, you know, since we started this podcast, we do read a lot more into things, right? Right. Like more than I've ever done. So of all the fossil discovery articles we've talked about, it's been more than I expected where it was jacked right before it got studied. You know what I mean? Like, right. You think they just discover it out in the field and everything's good, but it's like there's this hidden world where they're trying to get it from some cave dwelling robber, like a Nicolas Cage movie. It's just it's unexpected. Yeah, it's it makes the conspiracy part of the podcast more fun because it's almost yeah, like right. everything is a fucking conspiracy. Yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, I'm glad you said that because the next line is the preservation right here. The preservation of embryonic dinosaurs preserved inside their eggs is extremely rare. So, yeah, that would be worth a lot of money. Imagine the huge sauropods from Jurassic Park and consider that the tiny skulls of their babies still inside their eggs are just a couple of centimeters long. They were able to reconstruct the skull prior to hatching. If you go, they have a picture of the skull above, like the actual photo of it. Yeah, that's the actual crush right here. 80 million years old. 1.2 inch wide fossil skull of an unhatched dinosaur. Dude, 80 million years, you know. That's, that's a, you can't even wrap your head around that number. You know, go some more pictures here. looked like back then. That's a picture of the digital reconstruction. It looks kind of like a duck, but right here it's smashed. It looks like that. It does look like a duck. All these fucking dinosaurs have bird type face shapes or feathers. Um, the specimen studied in our paper represents the first 3D preserved embryonic skull of a sauropod, said paper author and paleobiologist Martin Kundrat of Slovakia's Pavel Hovev Safarik University. It's a bit unusual for a fossil to be represented by just the skull. The specimen perished before completing its development. See, that's the other interesting thing is like all of a sudden it died and the egg was never touched. Not a wild animal found it and cracked into it. He just died, right? Almost like this cataclysm just kind of mm -hmm. wiped everything wiped out real fast. Yeah. Um, and it changed overnight. And it's amazing that these eggs were not destroyed over 80 million years. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Absolutely fascinating. Here's the... I know I sounded like disingenuous. Yes, absolutely spectacular. But I did mean it. So that's where it was found, down there below Chile and Argentina, just west of Puerto Matrin, northwest of Camarto Trivadavia, right there in Ojamahuefo, Nicuan province in uh, Patagonia. Now Dylan's speaking in tongues on the podcast. No, that's just my uh, 
My grandfather is Patagonian. Mm, so, okay. yeah. Gotcha. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Native tongue. Native mm. tongue people. Oh, yeah. I'm really familiar with the, with the, you know, with the land and the culture here. Right. It's our start. Long neck, small brain dinosaur. That's, uh, that's it for this article. And this article clicks through to this next one, which is just proof that bird like feathered dinosaurs hatched egg like eggs like chickens because uh definitely there were chicken dinosaurs i have my notes here I'm trying to get to it all so good I, I sound like i know what i'm talking about <laughs> ostrich sized oviraptors could you imagine an ostrich sized raptor with feathers Dude, on it coming after your ass. They're the ancestors of birds. They sat on their eggs to incubate them at 35 to 40 degrees Celsius, which is about 95 to 104 degrees Fahrenheit. A range comparable with modern hens, 37.5 degrees Celsius. Uh, researchers reported in the journal Paleontology. A team from China and France measured oxygen atoms from the shells and embryo bones of seven oviraptor eggs from the upper crustaceous period some 100 to 66 million years ago. And what did that oxygen atoms allow them to determine? Um, I don't know because the next note might not answer that, and I'm just going with the notes. Okay. Um See, the first specimen was discovered in 1924 on top of a nest full of eggs. Paleontologists assumed the creature was eating them when it died. But it was really just nesting on top of them. Right. Right, so they didn't expect nesting to be a pattern, so they always thought they were eating them. So that's crazy, man. They died while on top of the eggs, almost like a cataclysm. cataclysm. Wiped them out yeah, instantly. You know, like, like how do you just die? I think at this point, it's it's not a conspiracy to think that the dinosaurs were wiped out by cataclysm. I think it's pretty accepted, right? Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, but yeah. This was accepted. just a caring uh, parent tending to his nest. So, and I'll ask you this: so, like, what was the evolutionary benefit of these dinosaurs that didn't fly, having feathers? They can fly a little bit. Thirteen. Some seconds. of them can. Not not a lot of them could. If you do the math, how? Because a, a chicken average is thirteen seconds. I think is. It's like pre-flight. So, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean... I looked that, it up. Oh, you did? I did. Oh, shit. You want to so, screen, you want a screen share? It's it? nothing. To, it's just an article. It's like no pictures or nothing with it. Okay. But, um, some of the high, some of the thoughts could be that um, there's temp temperature regulation is one, one aspect of it. What was the question um, again? Why Why did dinosaurs, what was the evolutionary benefit of, of dinosaurs feathers. having feathers? Oh, like oh, oh, finding oh, oh, all oh. These, We're finding all this evidence of dinosaurs that are chicken-like and having feathers and stuff like that. I know what it is. What is it? Go ahead before I tell you. Insulation, insulating the body heat so they can hatch eggs because they don't generate a lot of body heat because they're not necessarily warm-blooded, but more so than cold-blooded animals, just enough to hatch. So they need the feathers, Right. That's, yeah, temperature regulation was one one thing of that. Two episodes uh, in a row, I called it. You did, you did. I don't want to toot my own horn. I shouldn't do that. 
Who that? They use the feathers to insulate eggs for young animals. Um, And we know that many dinosaurs were good parents and even brooded on nests like we're describing here. The second big issue is one of color and pattern. Uh, So you can only make scales a certain size, and they do seem to have limits to their color patterns and color types. Feathers, on the other hand, can be absolutely huge, even on very small animals, and the range of colors and patterns can seem to exceed what can be done with scales alone. So um, they could basically use this for camouflage. They could use it for, uh, yeah, camouflage, basically. And and molting and stuff like that would allow them to be, right, and they could change colors at different times of the year, right? So they could be camouflaged in the winter, bright colored in the summer. And you can't really do that with scales. So. Mm. Another evolutionary benefit of that's good. Feathers. I think I think you should have screen um, shared one, that. Dinosaur uses feathers for defense. Okay, sure. Defense. Yeah, put it up. Put you got to turn your screen sharing off. Okay. Okay. Well, let's get good at that. I'll do that, and then we can always screen share. You have it disabled again. <sighs> Motherfucker! See, that's why I even bother. Yeah, but why do they disable it? Because every time. You see what I'm talking about? They track you and they do everything automatic except the things you do. Like, why don't they track that? You know what I'm saying? You track that I buy toilet paper and batteries, but you don't track that I let people share in my Zoom meetings and leave that on. Okay, now you can share. There you go. Can you see? Yes. Wonderful. Continue. They can use it for feathers for defense. Um, yeah, well, at least one dinosaur apparently used it for defense, and this may have been a viable strategy for others. Uh, still, bristles on the animal may have made them harder to attack or eat and provided a useful defense against some predators or even parasites. Some birds use feathers for a variety of odd purposes that are certainly possible and plausible that these were used in the same way in some dinosaurs. Um, they have bristle-like feathers that act as eyelashes, keep the, the eyes clear of dust, and so on. Um, waterfowl get buoyancy from the air trapped in theirs. Um, let's see. Various bonuses and benefits that would have come also from animals could, that could not truly fly but were very active. And the, uh, long feathers on the arms might have helped with balance when running or climbing. And uh, those who have seen ostriches one run will know they can flight their wings out to help them balance during right turns. <laughs> That's how they can haul ass. And no way. Can, yeah. That's cool as heck. It's like a, like a little break, break for them. Dude, why haven't football players developed anyway. their jerseys so that they have just a little bit of extra fabric on the corner, a little bit of extra, so when they – that's that little bit of extra. Hey, we beat the Falcons. Speaking of big fucking chicken birds. Big fucking chicken birds. We beat the Falcons. Did you see they didn't even put saints on their sign? They put visitors? Wow. They deserve to lose. Maybe that was photoshopped. Those, but, those assholes. Um, so anyway, that, yeah, I wanted I think to that, figure out like why why do they fucking have why are they why are we finding all these dinosaurs feathers? Like what's the point evolutionary wise? There you go. That's some some hypotheses. Well that's good to know. I like that. Thank you for doing that. That's interesting as shit. Cause I never even thought about I mean I guess I have thought about why why they have feather I mean chickens, sure, but not 
dinosaur. It did. I didn't. It didn't occur to ask that question while I was researching this. Gotcha. Well, yeah, that's why we do the research together. Yes, exactly. All right. Does that wrap up that one? Yeah, I think that's enough on the big chicken birds. Man, we really covered some time on that. I didn't think it would go that go that long. We got a pretty full show today, don't we? Yeah. And now we got we're moving on to Zuckerberg's election spending. Okay. You um okay, let's do some Zuckerberg and then we'll get back into some science to end the episode. But let's Bucky, do some yeah. let's do some Zucky Bucky. Let's do some Zucky Bucky. You can screen share on this first part article and then I have a couple click throughs I'm gonna jump into. Okay, sure. I'm ready to rock and roll. Screen sharing now in five, four, three, two early, and we're good. Bro, you came okay. in early. We're gonna have to take a, do another take. God damn. Oh no, no, no. I was a formal the click. A, well, a former federal election official on Thursday called the four hundred million dollar plus that Mark Zuckerberg spent to help finance local elections a quote carefully orchestrated attempt to influence the twenty twenty vote and recommended that all states ban fri- private funding of election offices. So, you know. That's fair. You got a big company putting money into something. But it brought up the get out the vote operation. My reaction is that this was a careful, this is a quote. This isn't me saying it. Um, From Hans von Spakovsky, a former Federal Election Commission member. Uh, My reaction is that this was a carefully orchestrated attempt to convert official government election offices into get out the vote operations for one political party and to insert political operatives into election offices in order to influence and manipulate the outcome of the election. So real quick, get out the vote. I didn't know what it was. It describes efforts aimed at increasing the voter turnout in elections. And so far, my conspiracy meter wasn't up. I'm trying to be objective. And I was like, okay, this is what people do. They fund elections. Um, But there's two kinds of get out the vote the first is a general voter registration campaign and encouragement to vote conducted by electoral authorities or nonpartisan organizations which is just hey go vote right and this This, is where the second part is a conspiratorial part go ahead yeah because the second form of a get out the vote effort or a gotv effort is partisan work targeted at potential voters who are likely to vote a particular way. For partisans, it may be easier and more cost-effective to encourage voting by 100 supporters who did not vote in the past than it is to convince 50 voters to switch support from one party to the other. I'm going to have to read that again. For partisans, it may be easier and more cost-effective to encourage voting by 100 supporters who did not vote. So 100 non-voters in the past is better than 50 voters to switch support. In other words, it's easier. Uh, it's, it's more return on your investment. So say, hey, I'm going to get 100 people, to, 100 people that didn't even vote in the last election to vote in this election, and I know how they're going to vote based on, I guess, The their, data that Facebook collects, yeah. because this was the whole thing. See, this is making a lot of sense when you're talking about the two different get out the vote efforts, because now we're seeing that the one we've been experiencing is the second one, which is the evil one where they need your data so they can target you and they target you because you know, you're undecided. 
Well, to be fair um, and accurate, when we're talking about this particular article, that is not necessarily how this money was spent whenever it comes to like Mark Zuckerberg donating, right? He donated to uh, most of the money to a particular nonprofit organization, uh, which was the Center for Tech and Civic Life is organization that they is the one that got most of the money. And what basically what the Center for Tech and Civic Life did was they allowed all of these different voting districts and areas to uh, send in requests for grants to help uh, to help fund the election. Um, and from what I understand, there were some stipulations that went along with this money uh, centered around things like mail-in voting, absentee ballots, um, and even funding things like uh, let me see what the name of that uh, funding vote navigators. And I'll get into that in a, a little bit later. But that is how the money was spent. This 400 and I don't even know if we've uh, disclosed the dollar amount yet, but it was like what, $419 million? Like a half a billion dollars yeah. spent across, you know, for elections in. in all across the country, but particularly in these swing states, is where a lot of it was dumped, and um, that 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 funding actually was eighty five percent of what the government itself put into funding election processes during this election cycle. Uh, the government itself spent like four hundred seventy nine million, whereas you know Zuckerberg and his nonprofits. That are really partisan nonprofits. To say they're not partisan would be is bullshit. Uh, but these these partisan nonprofits he's funding spent eighty five percent of the election spending in this twenty twenty election, which is fucking crazy. That's a private entity spending almost as much as the government in setting up these these election areas. It's fucking crazy to me. Sorry if I kind of jumped way through that really quickly but you did but that's good than, i couldn't find reading it, the whole thing i couldn't find it in the article um but you you covered that and whenever trying to find it now yeah now but, i can get into some of the that's like that's just the overall just what what was done with the money right yeah um i, I don't know that they were necessarily targeting down to the individual like this is where where, uh, you know, we know this person's going to vote a certain way, but they definitely did that with areas in there. And they, they, they've shown that they've targeted spending in certain areas uh, more so than in that, that would be more likely to vote Democrat than Republican than they did in. in anyway, you get what I'm trying to say there. I'm articulating it very poorly. But the, the first article was a little bit more general than the right. second one that I clicked through. And in the first article, it mentions um, it's about promoting safe and reliable voting because that was specifically during the pandemic. Right. So there was all this money about let's make it safe and all that, this and that. For mail-in voting. And I think that's another one of those things that the public office takes care of. But this right. is a, a this is the first election that has been augmented to this degree with private, yeah. I think ever with private, yeah. private funding. Yeah. So the, the first big problem, I guess, is that 
what's normally a public thing became a private thing. Not so, and we talked about I think on the last episode or previous episode about um, how the private, the public sector gets squeezed out because the private sector can do it better and more efficiently and has the money. So the the public sector loses out to private yes. sector, and that's what's yeah. happening now. Um, why government programs suck, and it's all these big private people that come in to do it. So I guess the problem and put their interest at the forefront, right? Yeah. And then click through to the second article and it gets a little bit more accurate um, about what you were talking about. But it it talks about how fucking they didn't necessarily sway any votes either in some of those areas. Like they still like the money went to the CITL and then the CITL gave the money out to the different offices and some of those offices were Republican and used it for Republican. So it wasn't necessarily in the end in the favor of the Democrats, but there were some major spots where it was. Um, it says the big CTCL and CEIR, which is the acronym for what was this company name? Center for Technology and Civic Life and the Center for Election Innovation and Research. They passed $420 million of money into local government election offices. Um, they had, it says they had nothing to do with traditional campaign finance, lobbying, or other expenses that are related to increasingly expensive modern elections. They have said they had nothing to do with traditional campaign finance. Yep, it had to do with the financing the infiltration of election offices at the city and county level by left-wing activists and using those offices as a platform to implement preferred administrative practices, voting methods, and data sharing agreements, yes. as well as to launch intensive outreach campaigns in areas heavy yeah. with Democratic voters. This is where it got juicy because the CTCL demanded the promotion of the universal mail-in voting through suspending the election laws. Now, I remember living through this. Remember all this happening. Suspending election laws, extending deadlines that favored mail-in over in-person voting, which greatly expanded the opportunities for ballot curing, expensive bulk mailings, and other lavish, quote, community outreach programs that were directed by private activists. All under the guise of making voting safe during a COVID-19 pandemic. And, so, and all, yes, all of that that was happening was... So it sounds Mark like... Zuck a all of that that was happening was Mark Zuckerberg funding it. Remember all that bullshit about voting and mail-in and late counts and Donald Trump and Stop the Steal and January 6th and all of this shit, all about the voting shit? And people, Do you remember all that shit? Yeah. You remember it? Yes. I lived through it. Yes. It was Facebook. When you follow the money of those programs that... Because I watched it in real time and I'm just saying... It's amazing how we can come back, you know... In real time, I didn't know it was Facebook. I couldn't make sense of any of it. I never talked about the voting stuff. I couldn't make sense of any of it. And now you see that it's... That money came from Facebook. And that is mind-blowing how it works. Yeah, because it's not good, man. They drove the... It says they 
basically created a unmonitored private drop boxes where people could drop the mail and that creates a major chain of custody issue. Did you see Oliver Stone's new JFK documentary? Uh, no, I need to go watch it though. It's they, on Showtime. I need to go check it out. They go deep into the chain of custody on the bullet and how important chain of custody is. So the fact that chain of custody is compromised in this voting line, I think is a pretty big deal because of the private unmonitored drop boxes where people are dropping votes. They increased funding for temporary staffing and poll workers, which supported the infiltration of election offices by paid Democratic Party activists coordinated through a complex of web of left-leaning non-profit orgs, social media platforms, and social media election influence. Because all the people that, I guess, while I was making sense, volunteer to work on these programs are people who are for the Democrats because all this voting stuff, we got to do mail. I'm not for the Trumpers. I'm not doing voter ID. You know, I got to volunteer, make a difference. So I'm going to go here and I'm going to volunteer and I'm going to make my work there. And we have all this funding. We got it from the CTCL and the CICL. Okay. Follow the science. Like fucking it's they're the non, CITCL. They're nonprofit. So they're by they're default nonpartisans. Dude. They're fucking That's nonprofit. Not. So the, uh, the amount of additional money that they poured in elections, uh, election offices in Democrat voting areas was truly staggering. To put it in perspective, Federal and state matching funds for COVID-19 related election expenses in 2020 totaled $479.5 million. This is what I was talking about earlier. Yeah. The CTCL and CIER money totaled $419.5 million. Yeah, 85%. 85% increase in total additional spending. That's freaking crazy. Of the 25 grants right here I'm reading, CTCL provided to cities and country counties in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Texas, and West Virginia that were one million or larger dollars. Twenty-three of those grants went to Biden areas. Twenty-three areas Biden won in twenty twenty. Yeah, they went to areas that Biden won twenty. One of the two counties won by Donald Trump, Brown County, Wisconsin, received about one point one million, less than one point two percent of the eighty-seven point five million that the CTCL provided to these top twenty-five recipients. So, yeah, everybody wants to talk about Donald Trump, Facebook, and Russia. What about Joe Biden, Facebook, and America? Right? Right. And then it it gets, so keep going, though, because it gets dirtier, right? Even in Brown County, Wisconsin, where heavily Democrat Green Bay is located, the funding disparities are glaring. So the Wisconsin government provided $7 per voter to the city of Green Bay to manage its 2020 elections, uh, whereas the rural counties in Wisconsin received approximately $4 per voter. So there's, you know, a $3 discrepancy there. Now read this next part's crazy. The CTCL funds boosted Democratic voting Green Bay, which they could take all that out, right? So CTCL funds boosted Green Bay resources to $47 per voter, while most rural areas still had the same $4 per voter. Well, and remember, they're targeting people who haven't voted in the past because it's more likely to get their vote because they don't know shit and are susceptible to propaganda, right? Right. Similar funding disparities occurred near Detroit, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Flint, Michigan, Dallas, Houston, and other cities that received tens of millions of dollars of CTCL money. So it was a similar disparity in spending in those areas. This next, this, this chart right here that we have on the screen. I know some of you nerds out there love charts and demonstrable evidence, verifiable data, provable facts. Look at this chart. So this is showing where the the money was spent, that 419 million. I'm just fucking around by the way. 
Yeah, this is based on um, data from the 2016 outcome, like where, so clearly the top four areas are where the bulk of the money was spent. Sure, they are, there's a lot of red in there as far as the the counties that uh, where Trump won, but the amount of dollars spent in those areas was significantly lower than the four blue lines up at the top of the graph here. So yeah, man, follow the money trail, you know? So yeah, they were accurate in stating that, you know, actually we had more counties that, uh, that voted Republican in the past, historically Republican in the past, reach out for these grants. And we grant, and we granted money to these areas more than Democrat areas, but the amount of money that was given to the democratic areas far out exceeded what was given to the Republican, the traditionally Republican areas. So now I have and they, a, were fo- and they were focusing on in those areas, getting like like you mentioned, getting folks that did not vote in the last election out to vote in this election, and using the methods that were favored by Democrats, such as mail-in voting and so on and such forth. Dirty, sh- dirty shit, man. I'm confused, but I trust that you said that correctly. What? What? What, what did I say that was confusing? Because if you're confused, I'm sure that. No, I'm making fun of myself because um, that all sounded very smart. And you you did a good job. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was really dumb and confusing. Sorry. Maybe. No, I was making fun of myself because I was like, whoa, this is smart shit. So, and then kind of going on, like they talk about how the money is affected, uh, how the money has an effect, right? Um. They say the original article that that prompted all this was an article, the, the federal Federalist article, which is super right, right wing leaning, right. So of course it's going to have a bias to it. To be fair, right? yeah, yeah, that's one this. thing. I, I have a note actually. If anybody is like, oh, Dylan's a right winger. Yeah, this is all very right wing biased news. But I mean, the facts are there. Like the, no, the ha- spending happened. I, I have a note. Yeah, yeah, that's the whole point. I have a note somewhere in here that I left that says a lot of Republicans supporting this. Okay, so I know, I know it's right wing. Okay, but that's the money trail. The money trail is there. Yes. Um, and speaking of money, who needs money more than the Bay Area? Oh, because, I was about to just. Oh, go ahead. Uh, the I Bay. Had a couple more points to make on that. Oh, did you go ahead? Bust it up. So they 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 used this system called the BART. It looks system. like your text thing, and I figured that you were like no, I'm reading out of notes there. off my iPad. Oh, I was like, okay, um, I guess he's done with this conversation. No, I was reading. My bad. It looks like that. Okay, I was reading off my iPad because my uh, my books didn't sync up with my computer today. I didn't have any more um, notes in that article, so I have nothing else to share. But if you got more, good. Take I just it want away. to share like how the money could have potentially affected the elections. Go ahead. So Bart, they used BART, a machine learning algorithm, which which is considered the gold standard in making in, uh, casual inferences. Um, and Do you have Bart that article is, to share? Can you share that? Sure. Stop sharing. Sorry to cut you off, but you're all right. It would be better if you could show that. It's called BART. Yeah, this is the article that everyone... That, that all those other articles were based off of is this one right here. Oh, that's the one I was sharing. I didn't know where you were in that uh, one. You were sharing a New York Post article. Um, oh, yeah, 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 it was. But this was the original paper. This is where I am. So for each county, they used uh, 
the two-party Hillary Clinton 2016 vote share, the turnout percent in 2016, the county share of the total state population, geographic location measured in terms of longitude and latitude, and per capita CTCL and CEIR spending to predict changes in the Biden's two-party 2020 vote margin. This is the the figure that they uh, use to figure out the impact of that spending. And as you can see, whenever it gets to um, a certain amount of spending per capita, you know, it increases the amount of votes 200,000. 200, in this particular area they're studying, which is in Texas, right? Um, the actual per capita level of uh, CTCL spending in Texas is represented by the vertical line on this graph and is shown to have narrowed Trump's Texas margin of victory by 200,000 votes, which still wasn't enough to swing Texas into Biden's electoral vote column. Um, but similar results were, uh, like there were, there were, there were other areas in swing States where it was a much tighter race. And if you can swing that election by 200,000 votes one way or the other in a swing state where, you know, you might only win by 25,000 votes or 30,000 votes, then you're essentially fucking buying the election with this private funding that was never something that was taking place in previous elections. So it's kind of like this entity that we, we, we don't really know how to handle at this point. And so now a lot of folks in the Republican side of things are calling for the end of private funding of these local elections. So why are you laughing? I'm laughing because, uh, my wife just brought me a fresh cup of coffee and she was like a ninja and you couldn't see her because the green screen. I was like, holy shit, that was amazing. But I was listening to you and basically... I thought I was saying something retarded. No, so I, I can't... I'm working on my poker face, man. I suck at it. But basically they focused on places where they knew they could sway it. Right. Where the vote... And this algorithm that they use, that the Federalist Paper used to figure out if this type of spending had an impact in these areas shows that it does. And so it's likely that a lot of the 2020 election was bought by big tech. And Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, talking about money and homeless people. Yeah, the Bay Area, the UN report calls Bay Area homeless crisis human rights violation. Let me share this. Jesse, if you start talking about an article, throw share up. That's right. what we should do. It's back and forth. We need to keep the viewer occupied. We need to keep the drug going straight to their brain. Mainlining it. I don't have anything other than this article. So, um, In I'll January, so, so a lady that basically is a journalist, I'll get to her name, Farah. Is her Leilani last name? Farah. Yeah, she is a journalist of some sort and she has went and studied different homeless populations like Mexico City, of uh, Santiago, Belgrade says here, Mumbai, Lisbon, Buenos Aires, Delhi. And uh, she was blown away at what she saw in Oakland. 
In January, she visited Oakland and San Fran as part of a fact-finding mission about housing and expressed shock and horror at the living conditions of homeless residents in one of the wealthiest societies in the world. Last week at the UN General Assembly in New York, Farout presented her findings in a report titled On Adequate Housing as a Component of the Right to an Adequate Standard of Living, which made special mention of the Bay Area's cruel and inhuman treatment of the homeless. Fah's presentation made only a few direct references to the Bay Area in the same breath as cities like Belgrade, Mumbai, Lisbon, Buenos Aires, Delhi, Mexico City, and Santiago, where she visited overcrowded shacks, damp abandoned buildings, unrecognized settlements, half-demolished homes, and even entire neighborhoods where residents live in complete darkness during the daytime. That's dark. That's, that's dark. Yeah, and it's happening right there. And that's someone who, like, who studies it. Like this, I see this... It's not on its way. It's there. The report. But this article is from 2018 too, so it's even worse now. Yeah, exactly. The report recounted experiences of various impoverished communities around the world, including violent mass evictions, garbage piles, and teeming rodent populations. Violent mass evictions. Farah singles out Bay Area's homeless camps and city policies surrounding them for what she alleges amount to human rights violations. Quote. Attempting to discourage residents from remaining in informal settlements or encampments by denying access to water, sanitation, and health services and other basic necessities, as has been witnessed by the special rapporteur in San Francisco and Oakland, constitutes cruel and inhuman treatment and is a violation of multiple human rights, including the rights to life, housing, health, and water and sanitation. The right to a secure home is a universal right under intentional human rights law. Lack of security of tenure can never justify forced evictions of those residing in, in, in informal settlements. Dude, how insane is this? And it's worse now in the re one of the richest cities in the United States. This keeps triggering a word, um, two words, American exceptionalism. You familiar with that term? Break it down for me. I've heard it from Abby Martin and Robbie Martin the most, mostly Abby Martin, but I'm sure it's a technical term. If not, then she made it up, but I've heard it before. Yeah, it's where you just think America is exceptionally better. Yeah. You know, like people, a good example that he talks about a lot, Robbie Martin, is uh, people are always talking anti-China. China monitors their their citizens. They pump propaganda into movies. They control information. They do all this stuff. China, China, China. And like America does the exact same thing. And just they don't sneakier. see it. You do, just, do you know what I'm saying? Sneakier. Like We're just sneakier about it. Yeah. Yeah. There's this narrative. It's not that we're sneaky about it because we know America does it because we pay attention, right? It's not as overt as China though. Let's be we're doing the What I'm saying is they're doing, we're doing that we are China. But American exceptionalism is where, oh, China. And then right. we're in America like we don't do that. Because everyone's worried about China, but they're not worried about Google and Facebook here in the States and the elections. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what, what this saying. is. You bring them, this because we, this homelessness. We, like we don't have like 
you know, we look at third world countries like, yeah. oh God, look at me, look, look at how these people, how these countries treat their people, right? And we, yeah. we have like the same conditions here. And what she's saying here is that it's even worse because we make laws According to her in San Fran and Oakland, let's get to it. The contrast between the Bay Area's regional wealth and the conditions in homeless communities. She noted that um, there's cruelty here I don't think I've seen. She said of laws that criminalize giving food to the homeless or the mere act of sitting on a sidewalk. You remember all that stuff during the pandemic and then changing benches? Maybe that was just social media like a Platimkin village. But yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, yeah, we're, and, we're just as evil here as they are. Yeah, and you an expert decries homeless conditions in Bay Area is cruel and unacceptable. So it's more on that. And intentional human rights law, Farah said, providing shelter to people who are homeless is the absolute minimum standard for any country regardless of resources. Farah was struck by the story she heard of homeless people losing their few possessions in encampment sweeps and laws that criminalize sitting on sidewalks or food sharing. There's a cruelty here that I don't think I've seen. That This is in a second article, but she, she says some more things. In Mexico City, I visited a low-income settlement that had been moved by the city onto empty land near a railway line. They had no running water. They stole electricity. The camp was noisy and dangerous. She noted that the camp in Mexico is virtually identical to those she visited in Oakland, including the Wood Street and 23rd Avenue encampments. Fuck. Yeah. And right behind my, I don't know if I've talked about this, but behind our house, our property, mm -hmm. um, there's an alley. But we're in like the corner of the neighborhood, butted up against the small overpass. So dead end, the alley, and then a big open thing of grass because it's not more houses, but there's still like the alley road. Yeah. Just envision that and then the grass. And then there's another road. It doesn't connect to my neighborhood, but it connects to the main road. And, and that road has like houses at the end of it. It's just kind of like a dead area with some houses and then it fades into gas stations and my weed shop and liquor store car wash up there. And, uh, that road, an RV moved in one day, this trashy RV and they were living there this summer. And like every other week, him and the girl would be screaming at each other, just fighting, oh, fighting. You could, I could hear him inside my trailer cause I live in a trailer on my friend's yard. And, <clears throat> that evolved into two trailers because I guess he got her one. And then two months ago, all that turned into six RVs and three cars. And I should take pictures. You wouldn't believe the junk that they have strewn out on the sidewalk and the road, dude. It is unbelievable amounts of junk. To the point where it racks my brain. If you can function well enough to have all this junk and organize it, direct that energy towards a job and get the fuck out of here. No shit. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I had to call the fire department because the guy was out in the sidewalk, which is like 100 yards from me. Dry grass. <clears throat> it's going to set everything on fire. Burning like a tarp. And he was like playing with it with a stick. My God, dude. So, and do you know now, 
right and, and like or there's the, like they're like playing loud music late at night and i hear the same bass drum pattern i gotta turn on fans and get like my and the, it's like dude respect is free like shut the fuck up and they're out there and then they're burning plastic the other day i was shoveling snow i had to put on my mask and then just get i had to tell my wife like get inside we can't be out here they're like that burning crazy dude burning right their trash the and when i called the fire department and the police they were like this is bad it's happening everywhere it's happening all over right now and um there's a there's a median like an a mile away from my house that in the same time frame has been taken over by four or five tents and it's just trash and there's cars where they park it's like a dead area behind a bus stop so people are waiting at a bus What's stop and driving all the homelessness the economy housing pricing lack of housing availability due to in rising population like what yep. the fuck is driving it you want me to take it a step further and blow your mind right now dude what are you ready dude sure in the alley behind my fence like I heard the neighbor's dog barking like crazy at the fence I was like let me go outside and make sure nobody's just walking by my fence and uh, I didn't see anybody, you know, because in my yard, I can see all the RVs and I feel violated because I don't want to be a target. I don't want them to see me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I don't think they have because I'm, I'm weirdly disguised. I know my place is here, but even when I drive by, I can't make stuff out. Even though when I'm in the yard, I can see everything. It's really weird. So I don't know if they even ever have seen me yet, dude. So not. But like... So I, I decide to go walk out of my back gate that goes to the alley. And then I walk up to the, and I look down the, the road and I don't see anybody. And then I just look, I, there's no point to look the other way because it's just immediately a big wall of dirt and, and it's the overpass, like it's the end. Yeah. Turn around, there's a homeless guy getting into his tent and he never saw me. And I sat there staring at him. And I was mind blown. I was like, oh my God. And I just watched him and he never saw me. And I closed the gate and I walked away and I was like, there's a fucking homeless dude living right behind our garage like right now. Literally right there. Yeah. And I feel like it's a matter of time until this whole grit, grassy patch is just going to get filled with tents. It's like they're just multiplying. Yeah. With one, now you got six RVs. Now you got a bunch of shit everywhere. Now the median's taking over up the road. Now you got a homeless guy in your alley. Yeah. And it's like, it's just crazy. Because American exceptionalism, you think, ah, it's not happening. And then it starts getting bad, but it's like, oh, that's in San Francisco. That's in LA. And then it's like, I, I And then the cops stop doing shit with crime because they're like, ah, it's just such a big problem. Fuck it, who cares? And then you have yeah. crime going up and then, then you're living in a third world, third world country in America. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, in my, it's literally in my backyard. Like I'm scared when I'm at work because I don't know if they've caught my neighborhood on fire. Like I'm lit. This is legit. Like I gotta you need to get buy out. a compact gun for you and Ford. That's not gonna I, stop not, a fire if I'm not home. That's no, no, I'm, true. You but know what I'm saying? saying like these mothers. Just in general, do like I don't know. To worry about your safety. But the homeless thing. Talking about this. This is real shit. It's getting bad. Yeah, People this was from 2018, and, and it's getting so bad where it's in every city in the country now. Yeah, and it's and it's weird because. 
I work with the guy and he talked about dog fighting and how, oh, there's probably a lot where you're from, huh? I was like, why? Oh, just like it happens where there's a lot of poor people, Louisiana. I was like, what? It's like, I have a friend that works there. He was telling me about it. It's like poor people dog fighting. And like a couple over time, I like brought the conversation back up and I was like, you know, there's like a lot of dog fighting here, a lot of poverty here. And that's what I'm bringing up is people think like the South is this terrible place. It's like all this shit you say about the South is better than the rest of the country right now. Well, hold on. All this shit they say about the South is happening on every fucking street corner here. You dumb fuck. You want to talk about poverty? Look at the homeless here. Let's look at the dog fighting here. And then let's also ask them, well, what about Michael Vick? Wasn't he rich? He was dog fighting. He was like, yeah, but that's like cultural. It's in their culture. So, it's, so it has to do with culture, not poverty. So why the fuck did you say that poverty shit? And these are the people that like, not to get on COVID again, but these are the people that are like, get vaxxed, you fucking non-scientific person. Hey, shut the fuck up, you idiot. That's where I'm at now. Like, that's where I'm at now. Because people don't have respect for you if you have those opinions. So fuck them when they start acting like that. But anyway, uh, yeah, this homeless shit, it's its in my backyard, dude. I'll take pictures and I will show you and you will be... You should bl- take pictures and then make it your podcast background next episode. You're not going to believe what you see, dude. I'm telling you right now. Like when I show you, I'm going to have to drive by and like video and take stills. I'll have to like work on this because I don't want to walk over there. Yeah, fuck that. Don't get yourself in... Uh- Dude, at the top it off, they added more junk. Can you guess what it is? Probably not. It's a buggy with a really shitty drum set in it. Oh my God. And it doesn't even match. It's like they got multiple pieces. Like, dude, get a job and just go get an apartment or something. Are they trying to play the drums? I don't know, dude. It's insane bikes, like 13 bikes. I think they're just stealing bikes. You know Probably. what I'm saying? It's fucking Probably. crazy. It's crazy, and the, it's crazy, man. But according to the fire department and the police, it's getting bad right now. They can't do nothing because, according to this lady, that's actually a violation of uh, what was the word? And human sim- rights. Simple human rights. Immediate human rights. There was a word. Was it just human rights? Intentional human rights. No, no, it's, it says an international human rights law. Oh it's my just God, a violation so of human stupid. rights. International, not intentional. It's really. just a violation of rights, according to her. It's the yin and the yang. I'm the dumb guy with brain damage. You're the smart guy that knows how to talk. With brain damage. Well, <laughs> mine happened when I was a baby, so. Mine happened when I'm an adult, so it's worse. All right. <laughs> hey, bro, let's move on to something a little bit more positive. Uh I'm back, dude. What do you think? I am still here. What's up, bro? Represent. Represent. Oh, shit. Represent. Fuck yeah, bro. I was looking at the my browser and I uh, didn't see your shirt. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, Thanks man. for the support. Hey, man. Thanks for the $15 shirt. It's a good deal, you know? Is that oh, a good deal? I don't know. Fuck yeah, dude. I mean, new merch is 35 30 So if you're wanting to get a shirt and it's like, you know... Because y'all have the new long sleeve. And I was like, I want to get it, but I'm not a long sleeve guy. Unless I'm putting it under a hoodie for an extra layer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I was like, "Mm, well, let me see what they got. And then I was like, 15 bucks, dude? Let me help y'all get rid of the old shit, you know? 
Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, twenty bucks. So if you're if anybody's still listening to this podcast or watching, so basically this James Webb telescope, they launched it. It's out doing the Hubble telescope. It's Hubble telescope 2.0. Um, it's gonna let us go back in time. Yeah. See, and I have better notes in Kindle, but Kindle does not function with iCloud. And it also, it's better, but it doesn't function with iCloud. So it's like, what the fuck? So let me get to it. We have deployed, we have a deployed telescope in orbit, said Thomas Zerbuchen, NASA's Associate Administrator for Science. Magnificent telescope, the likes of which the world has never seen. And that's them partying in the room. It's so like a bas- Windows 95 party. Fuck yeah. Yeah. What intrigued me was somebody said uh, on Twitter, one of the scientists said that 99% of people won't appreciate what this is. But if you know, then you know. So I was like, whoa, what the... And it turns out this is pretty amazing. The uh, It's... it's uh, fucking... Sorry. The, it's like a big mirror made of gold plates. It will give said it will give Webb and humanity a chance to see the universe as it was perhaps only a hundred million years after the start of the Big Bang. So the Hubble telescope hasn't been able to get that far back, but this one will. Yeah, it's, it's focused on like what, four areas, right? Um, yes, four, area, four areas of focus. Do you have those in front of you? Uh, yeah, I have the... I do. You want me to share? Uh, I have it right here. Yep, there it is. Right there, for, under first line, reionization. Yeah, so there's four areas that this telescope is going to study. First light reionization refers to the early stages of the universe after the Big Bang started the universe as we know it today. In the first stages after the Big Bang, the universe was a sea of particles, such as electrons, protons, and neutrons. Light wasn't visible until it cooled enough later on. The epoch of reionization refers to when neutral hydrogen was reionized, made to have an electrical charge again by radiation from the first stars. So it's looking at this looking for this reionization process in the light yeah. that is capturing from the deep Deep, yeah. deep, deep space. I was stumbling earlier because I, I was trying to get into how it was built. Um, but my notes didn't make sense. So thanks for saving it. Go I got here. you, bro. That's why I'm here. Just just a co-host. Um, I'm also just a co-host. We're two, man. And then it's looking at Assembly of Galaxies. Assembly of galaxies sounds complicated. It's a useful looking at galaxies is a useful way to see how matter is organized on gigantic scales, which in turn gives us hints as to how the universe evolved. Which brings in this book I read about before when the Earth had two moons. I got it at Barnes and Noble on the premier shelf, so they're not trying to hide this. Apparently, there was a time when the Earth had two moons. What? Yeah, and it has to do with the formation of galaxies and planets like this. And um, that book talks a lot about this. It's kind of boring, but basically the theory is that like a piece of debris hit Earth and caused some piece of piece of debris to fly off of Earth, 
into mm. space. And then what happens in space is that things will naturally find their circle. So there's this wobbly with it, blah, blah, blah. And then as it finds its circle, it gets caught in our whatever. Orbit. Yeah, but uh, there was a time where there was like two pieces that became one. So it was like two moons. But somewhere in here, that's what they're trying to watch is like how the moon was formed is are things they'll be able to understand more with things like the James Webb, James Webb telescope that's going to be looking at 100 million years after the Big Bang formation of planets. Yeah, they're looking back at the earliest galaxies that we could see to figure out uh, if we could figure out why, how how and why we get these spiral and elliptical galaxies that have evolved today. And this just is looking my at favorite the birth one. of stars and protoplanetary systems. My favorite one, the Eagle Nebula's Pillars of Creation. It's going to look at these. They're some of the most famous birthplaces for stars, and I have it right here. Let me. This is the Eagle Nebula. Whoa. It's a real place. The classic image of pillars of creation inside the Eagle Nebula reveals a stellar nursery where new stars may be hatched. So basically, they're going to be looking into these early gas clouds like this. Because in these gas clouds, you get the formation of stars because the gas starts to merge together and bah, 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 and then there you go. And now the stars are in there. And then what I thought was interesting that I learned from that other article we were just on, like that cocooning gas cloud apparently is reused unless it, if it doesn't use or isn't, isn't dispersed too far apart so like it it's used to form one star and then it like continues to go on to do to to be used again it's kind of cool yeah right there stars come to be in clouds of gas and as the stars grow the radiation pressure they exert blows away the cocooning gas which could be used again for other stars if not too widely dispersed and so it's going to use the James Webb's telescope's infrared section to be able to look at the sources of heat inside those uh, gas clouds, which will include stars that are being born in these cocoons inside these uh, pillars of creation that you just showed a picture of from the article. Yeah, and just real quick, in 1995 about the, the nebula, the Eagle Nebula, the world was astounded by the Hubble Space Telescope's beautiful images of the Eagle Nebula, a cloud of interstellar gas and dust 7,000 light years away. So basically, that's that was getting back to kind of the origin of the James Webb Telescope was the Hubble. It's Hubble 2.0. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Just, but it's going deeper into space and is built a little better. And we'll get into that. We'll get into that. You know, we'll look at those things. But there's one more, the fourth one, planets and origins of life. The last decade has seen vast numbers of exoplanets discovered, including with NASA's planet-seeking Kepler Space Telescope. JWST's powerful sensors will be able to peer at those planets in more depth, including, in some cases, imaging their atmospheres. Understanding the atmospheres and the formation conditions for planets could help scientists better predict if certain planets are habitable or not. Interesting. Uh, so it has a, a shiny giant mirror made of gold hexagons. And it's, dude, that looks amazing. Is that made of real gold or just gold colored? It's coated with a durable gold. It's made of another, it's made of a different, I'm trying to get to the beginning of my notes. It's made of a different material. 18 small mirrors that together will allow mission teams to use the scope to measure light from extremely distant galaxies. Webb's primary mirror spans 21 feet, 4 inches, 
across and is made up of 18 hexagonal mirror segments. It's a big ass mirror. I'm right here. Mm -hmm. Measuring 4.3 feet. I'll read that again. The primary mirror spans 21 feet, four inches across. It's made up of 18 hexagonal mirrors, 4.3 feet. 4.3, dude. What if it's actually 4.3200? 43,200. Sacred numbers. Um, 21, 21 feet. These are sacred numbers, actually. And Webb also has a small secondary mirror that measures 2.4 feet. Ba, 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 ba. Well, the, in comparison to the Hubble Space Telescope, so, so the Webb's primary mirror was 21 feet. The Hubble was 7.8. Crazy. It's a lot larger. Dude, that's huge. I'm not getting the pictures on that one. Look at that beautiful. It's insane looking. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an illustration, but they use the hexagons so that it will be more like a circle because that's the best shape, and they talk about it here. If the segments were circular, there would be gaps between them. A roughly circular overall mirror shape is desired because that focuses the light into the most compact region on the detectors. An oval mirror would give images that are elongated. A square mirror would send it out. So they needed to replicate a circle, so they used hexagons. There's six actuators on the back of each mirror piece. Listen to this, dude. This is insane. The actuators that move the piece. It's going to take them like five months to calibrate this once it gets located. That's how nuanced. These actuators are actually a pretty amazing piece of engineering in the sense that they can move long strokes called core stage, but they also have a fine stage which can move extremely precise fractional wavelengths of light. That's crazy. It's like... That's crazy. The precision that we can get with this uh, technology nowadays. Yeah. Um, NASA had an art challenge because it looks so beautiful. Look at their art challenge. Let me find it. She wins. She gets my vote. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That one's cool too. That's neat. This guy just printed a picture off of a Google search. What a dick. Yeah. Overachiever right here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Also, let the fucking kids win, man. What's wrong with you fucking adults? Yeah. Oh, of course. We've got the the older lady that's like... Attention-seeking bitch. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that's the art show, everybody. Sorry, pissing me (laughs) off. It's supposed to be for the kids, and you have all these fucking adults. Like, oh, let me... I want to get my picture on the NASA website. Dude, I don't have time to submit art to NASA. I got... You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I'm exactly. for that. So why is it gold to answer your question? For one, it's extremely reflective, which is readily apparent in its brilliant appearance. Um, gold has the highest reflectivity over a very wide wavelength band. You build a large telescope to catch individual photons, so you want the reflectivity of each of these coatings to be extremely high so we don't lose photons along the way. Webb's mirrors are about 98% reflective which means they reflect 98% of incoming photons, which is about as reflective as it gets. It's and a it's a rugged coating. Yeah, it's a protective gold overcoat. So they're not actually made of solid gold. They're made of beryllium. Yeah. Strong, that, lightweight metal. Uh, each one weighs 46 pounds. Damn. Yeah. 
Super interesting stuff, man. I'll be curious to see it, what we learn about the beginning of all of time. Yeah, and essentially what we're what this thing is studying, right? What's even cooler is that um, it uses infrared, whereas the Hubble uses the other ones. Does it use infrared? I forget what it uses. Uh, Webb observes in infrared light. Since infrared light is essentially heat, if Webb were too warm, it wouldn't be able to detect infrared light past the glow of its own mirror. In fact, Webb's mirrors need to be about minus 364 degrees uh, to work as intended. To keep it cold, the scope will be sent into deep space where it deploys sun shields to shade its mirrors and other instruments from any lingering warmth. Uh, so this is why it's going to orbit a million miles from Earth. In that whatever zone it's called, Lagrange point. Yeah, and Lagrange. I... Um, Lagrange. The Lagrange points. Sorry. You're going to have a picture. This is the Lagrange point, like a, a sweet spot where there's little to no gravity. Um, and it's shielded from the sun, basically. Yeah, the observatory sports a five-layer sun shield that will be as big as a tennis court when it's unfurled. I want to cover more of the Lagrange point because that was a, a Lagrange point is a gravitationally stable spot where spacecraft can more or less park, maintaining the same relative position without expending much fuel. Webb isn't going to L2 for propellant con conservation. It's going there to stay cool. So it's going to save fuel. They've estimated it's going to save twice as much fuel as they're prepared for, which is 10 years, so up to 20. But it's there because it has to stay cold because it's infrared. It's going to shield itself from the sun. And it's interesting because it said the, the temperature difference between the hot and cold sides with the telescope is huge. You could boil water on one side and freeze nitrogen on the other. Holy shit. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, right? So it's going to take 29 days for it to get there. The distance to L2 highlights another key difference between Hubble and Webb. The Hubble telescope was designed to be serviced by spacewalking astronauts, but no one's going to be there for the James Webb. It's going to be all by its lonesome because it's 930,000 miles away. Um, wait, wait, wait. And a number of In other... sunward direction. It's away from the sun. The The James Webb goes away from the sun, so I, I, I need to clarify what I just read. It's in the Marsward direction. The James Webb is in the Marsward direction. Mm. But how far is it? 130,000 miles. Sun Earth L1 Lagrange point is 930,000 miles in the Sunward direction. That's where other telescopes mm. have worked before. What's special about the James Webb is it's going in the Marsward direction away from the sun. At L2. To Lagrange point L2 because there's four of them total in the solar system. There are a total of five Sun-Earth Lagrange points. Five, sorry. L3 is in line with L1 and L2, but on the other side of the Sun. L4 and L5 are 60 degrees ahead of and behind the Earth, respectively, on our planet's orbital path. But it doesn't say how far L2 is. Here's L1 and L2. They look to be about the same, just on the opposite side. 900, 900 L1 is miles. Yeah, 930,000 miles to L1, and then 930,000 miles uh, L2. Wow. And and these are the Lagrange points. So if you go up here, you'll be in like minimal gravity. 
That's a pretty sacred shape. Look how even that triangle yeah. is. You know what I'm saying? And I'm and, even and geometry. Yeah, and this line is the same length as this line. Even though here there's not a Lagrange point, I would like to know the deep physics because the geometry looks to be pretty symmetrical, but there's got to be some kind of physics disconnect that doesn't allow another Lagrange point, even though geometrically it seems like there would be another Lagrange point here and here. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like what are the physics like that make that L4 and L5? Yeah, maybe in these points there's like an anti-Lagrange point where gravity is so strong you can't get out. Like a Bermuda Triangle. Maybe you and I are just so dumb when it comes to astrophysics that uh, <laughs> we'll never figure it out, me and you. No, I'm actually really smart, and I think I just did figure it out. Yeah, probably so. So instead of writing a thesis, I'm just going to clip that 40-second video and send it to Harvard Say, and with a letter that says, what's up now? <laughs> Where's my tenure position? With like my credits from community college. Yeah, I I deserve tenure. Yeah. At least. I figured out Lagrange points six and seven. Um, that definitely wraps up everything. But here's awesome, live man. updates. We can finish it with the live updates page of James Webb. The most recent update, let me refresh this. This is the live update page. Look, here's a little illustration of how it works. They get it out of reader view. Oh, really? You can't see that? Now refresh it. Do you see this illustration? Yeah, I see the illustration. That's what I was trying to show you. I'll refresh it in a second. But look how, boom, and it's then it... Re pretty neat. Dude, they got to calibrate all that. You got... I mean, you know what it's like mixing music. You move one thing, you change one thing, you got to change everything. Everything else. is fucked, yeah. Can you imagine calibrating one of these hexagons and you're looking at that the next... That can move at a fraction of a wavelength of light. Yeah, and it's like another two and a half weeks to figure out what you did. Like, fuck... It's gonna take forever. God damn Fuck. it! When, when you hit, by you the just, time this thing is calibrated, it's gonna be out of fuel. Because that illustration, look at that. There, how many times does it reflect? One, two, three, four, four, five, four times. Two, five, three, three four, four. Oh yeah, four, three, four, dude. But that's how you get these pictures of collecting light like that. That's amazing. I can't wait to see what it fucking uh, finds. Um, the live update. We'll wrap up on what the latest is. Adjustments to the, as of 8.33 this morning, I think, adjustments to the 18 golden mirror segments of Webb's primary mirror are due to begin tomorrow, January 11th. Today is the 10th. According to the deployment timeline provided by NASA, the, that process is expected to take several days and marks the observatory's transition from deployment into commissioning. Meanwhile, the observatory continues its trek out to its station orbiting Earth-Sun Lagrange Point 2, or L2, which is located about 1 million miles away from Earth on the side opposite the Sun. As of today, the telescope, January 10th, the telescope is more than 78% of the way to orbit, having traveled more than 700,000 miles from Earth. Damn. Yeah. Also, one last thing, and I already forgot... Um, the, the big thing about this is that it's so big, it has to fold in on itself. And that's what's been happening. Cause I, I made a new personal Twitter. I got locked out on my old one. I was like, well, I, I just relaunched my blog. So while we're wrapping this up, everybody go dylancrozier.com, read my blog and, uh, check out our new jam cast single that's coming out 
on the 19th. We got a new acoustic mandolin solo thing, jam cast coming out on my blog, on my website. Go to that. Um, but fucking uh, forgot what I was talking about. You know what I'm saying? It falls in on itself. It falls in on itself. So I made a new Twitter so I could promote my website. So I was like, whatever. And I just followed NASA. So I've been seeing this unfolding. It's like, what are they talking about? So finally I looked into it and I was like, oh shit, this is a big deal. Yeah. But it unfolds because it's so big. So over the last like days, it's been unfolding. They finally shield that that it's going to be is is the size of a tennis court. Yeah, like they've just been unfolding it for days. That's basically what I'm saying. And now it's fully unfolded and deployed, and now yeah. we're getting the calibration process. Yeah, that's crazy, right? It's wild. And what's even crazier is that they had this thing done in 2010, but there was like funding, and then a politician stopped a bill, and then they had to get this, and then that, and then the pandemic. So this they've been like trying eleven year old technology. They've been trying to launch this for a decade, I think, it, or it's maybe eleven year old technology, bro. Maybe it wasn't done, but it was at the end, and they were it like, conce- "It was conceptualized." I mean, talk about working on staff, and you're like, "Fuck, man!" I didn't think it would be twelve more years. I thought we were done back in like two thousand and two. No shit, two thousand and twelve or whatever. It's crazy. So anyway, yeah, that wraps up that. Thank you, everybody. Go check out. Uh, Alfred and the Ted Naders. We have a new jam cast single coming out. Go to my website, dylancrozier.com. I'll have a blog with a link, a blog about the song. You can pre-save it on Spotify. Go check out Gogotham. We got a new music video dropping this Thursday, this week from the new album. Check that out. Bottomless Pit. Check it out. It's awesome. Badass. Um, Album release show February 4th. Come hit it up. If you're in the Baton Rouge area and you happen to subscribe to this podcast, uh, we have a show on January 26th with Gate Creeper, which is, uh, if you're into metal, you'll know Gate Creeper. Badass. Glad we got put on that show. going to be fun. And the very next week's our album release. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, we All have right. shows if you're in Denver. Fuck yeah. January 21st, we're at the Enigma. Alfred and the Ted Naders. Uh, February 19th, we're doing an, that's going to be a rock, a rock set, two piece guitar drums. Uh, February 19th, we're going to be at Bruise on Colfax doing an acoustic set. And March 19th, we'll be at Bruise, the other location. Don't forget about our Jamcast single. Go, go give us some Spotify numbers. We're doing it big. Same for us. I got a mandolin solo on this new one. Y'all are actually doing it big. So y'all are like on a record label and a music video. We're still like, we're still trying to get where y'all are, where we have like an awesome media setup and then we can pitch ourselves. Just going to yeah. be a social media whore, unfortunately. We should talk about that. Yeah. Later. Maybe before our next episode, we could have like a 15 minute. Um, also, fucking... um. Vulture Stone B modes. Yeah, I'm working. I started working on it. Okay, cool. I need to get it done. I know. I'm going to work on it today, tomorrow. Because the thing is, if we have a completed song, then I can schedule a day and go track. Okay. Hey, but on a good good note, like I have, uh, I've been playing a lot lately. So 
It's good. For Me us. too, man. I started playing mandolin more and learning the solo. I got some. I'm books. doing an hour a day. I'm with you. I'm, and this I'm is what I want. An hour a fucking day. This is what I want to do. Something a consistent music project that we can keep going is the cool deal stuff for sure. Um, but I just wrote a new country song. So, ooh, on the mandolin. Cool. Yeah, it's like a country song, not a silly one. Like I wrote, I used the formula and I wrote like a country song. I'd be interested to hear that. So I track it, send the vocals, and then you could just do some guitar on it. Do, do you okay. have an, an acoustic guitar? A shitty one, yeah. Um, if you can like restring it and just track, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We, we you know, we could do like a country record, you know what I'm saying? Because then we can play these shows. All I have to do is book a show in Lafayette and Baton Rouge when I come in and me and you just show up and play. We don't need a practice. You know what I'm saying? I have played country before, but I'll give it a shot. Yeah, but Fuck you've it. played chords in the key of D. Sure. You know what I'm saying? And if you yeah. know the songs, like we can, because like if me and you start cranking out product, then we know the songs we just recorded. We just need a book. Shows. That's my yeah. vision. Like, Because yeah. like us recording the product is us practicing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's what I do like with Golgothan a lot. It's yeah. Like, I mean, I'm practicing like two weeks, but we're going to been playing this content every night. Yeah, because I want to get like, even if they're shitty shows for nobody, just get the ball rolling and start doing that eventually. But like, you know, let's just start recording stuff for sure. Yeah, I, know, I need to get B-Modes done. I know. <laughs> B-Modes is weird because it's really good already, but it's like it just needs more spice, but like it's already good. Yeah, well, we can add more spice like, as we tab it out in Guitar Pro and make it yeah. a little, add a little jazz to it. I would like to like stay on B-Modes until we finish it since it's like the oldest project that we have Do You want me to just start recording the guitar tracks for it? Whatever is best for you to... If you want to rewrite stuff, I'll need you to tab that. Sure. So I can practice. You know what I'm saying? Practice the drums to it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, not tabbing the drums out, by the way. That's fine. But like, I, I would say just tab your guitars out and, and write it. All right. And Got send it. it to me. And then if I come up, we can back and forth. You don't have to like finish it, finish it, but like just do a next phase at least. Phase two. Like, all right, this is, and then maybe that'll be it. Or maybe I'll be like, cool, I added this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and then then we'll start writing some new stuff because B yeah, modes but, is old. Yeah, and then B modes will be done, and then we can focus on Vulture Stone because that one's halfway done, and that one's badass. Yeah, and then oh, I got the B modes demo playing. Found the B modes demo I was playing. Sorry. And that's two singles, and with we can fucking release those. Figure out how to do bass. Figure out vocals, dude. We might even just release them as drum seven string instrumental and rename ourselves. Yeah, that's what but, I, I, I want to do. New shit. Like I don't like to. I the 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 recording our old stuff is is just like doing what should have been done before. You're right. You're right. You know what I'm that saying? Needs to get done. It needs to get done. But then I want to move past that too. Absolutely. But like, we got to get it done first before we. Yeah, I, I agree. But in the meantime, because it's going to take us a while to record 20 Death of Skepsis songs. Yeah. We can chip away and like release a single and then release a single and then 
by that time will be like on the verge of dropping a record. That's on the top 20 billboard charts. Yeah, but really it's just Salem Mouth and the old songs. And then we could do like another single, another single, and then drop a second record of our other old songs. And then by that time, another single, and we have like a full new record. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot of content though. It is a lot of content, but we can do it. I need to get my ass to work. Like even, uh, yeah, we can do it. I need to get my ass to work. Get the numbers up. Book a show. Just get it going. Cool, bro. Well, I'm going to jump off. Good podcast. Cool. Yeah. Have fun. Thanks for listening, everybody. And check out our, sh- check out our shit. Later, folks. Later, bro. Later. Bye, Jesse.